What's up, goons? We're doing it again. We're doing we're doing another interview drop. Here's the thing about interview drops. They're fucking um they're weird. We're, we're gonna do this. This is one I just I chose. One of them's a recent interview. One of them is the National Wrestling Alliance champion, Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis made me keep watching wrestling. Uh, I was getting bored with it, and he came on my television via YouTube on NWA Power and gave one of the best promos of all time. We talk about it on the show, on this episode, right? Um, it's very, very good. He He's, he's a guy who understands what makes people wrestling fans. A lot of modern wrestling is a lot of flips and hor- and this is what I want to talk about because Dan Severn, who's also on this, Dan Severn is a UFC champion. He was simultaneously the National Wrestling Alliance champion when he was the UFC champion and he was very proud of it. We talk about it in this interview. Dan Severn's a guy, he offered to come to the grappling club in Williamsburg to do a seminar. We weren't quite ready for that sort of thing yet. But he's a guy who just, he loves, he loves pro wrestling, but is a badass. And it's such a weird thing because I hear a lot of people don't get wrestling and they don't, some people don't even get combat sports. People who are into sports. I didn't grow up into sports. Frank, you're a UFC guy. Frank's helping you with these interview drops. If you didn't listen to the last one, Frank, um, you're you're a UFC. You're not you're not a big wrestling guy. No, not at all. But you are a huge UFC guy. Yes. Now, are you into other sports? I've never heard you talk about anything other than UFC. I was growing up. Growing up. Yeah, I, I played every sport. What do you think makes you gravitate as an adult to combat sports? Because I watch boxing. Uh, you know, I, I like I'll watch sumo wrestling. I'll watch any combat sport or anything that resembles a combat sport. Right. Uh, well, I grew up in martial arts too. That's definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the lack of a team element. There's no we in it. Like if that's I, what if I Adesanya think. wins the belt, I don't hear my friends saying we won the belt. Oh, there's no cornball shit. Like I mean, that. some black people are going to say that. Some skinny black nerds are going to say Maybe. that if Adesanya wins the belt. Um, which this is coming out after. Oh well, Adesanya's a champ. But you know what I mean? Like right. this is coming up right. The, the the Costa fight's about to about to happen. Um, but it is a weird thing. I've I've always hated team sports. I, like I don't like playing them. Uh, I play handball. Just pick up. I still as because this. I mean, this is notes of a goon. I still play handball with my friends. I don't go to a court and try to pick up a game. Right. I'm not doing that. I'm a grown up, right? But anytime we would be playing handball and somebody would be like. Hey, do you want to play doubles? And like you get roped into a double. I I'd never put in any. I can't. I I can't play on a team. And it's like it, I remember. Um, I also like. Sorry to interject. I yeah. also like how there's no season. It's just constantly ongoing. That's the thing about the fights, right? And, yeah. And you could also be a fan of both fighters going into jump. the fight and appreciate them after. It's not like you're rooting yeah. for one person solely. And you can jump in, jump out. That's right. what's great about it. Right. You you can follow a fighter and you don't have to follow the whole you don't have to follow the whole league because right. you can get really caught up on the rankings because people only fight once every six months. Yeah, there's no season or playoffs. Yeah. You just jump. And out. I kind of just like that out of nowhere you'll just hear like with boxing, that was always great. You'd be anticipating a fight, anticipating a fight, anticipating a fight, and then all of a sudden, this is before the internet, you just hear 
Tyson's going to fight Holyfield. Holy fuck, really? <laughs> fucking really? That's going to fucking happen? Right. Like, it's yeah, it's fucking fantastic. I mean, granted, Tyson got out of jail. We knew he was going to fight Holyfield. Holyfield had been chasing him from before. But as a child without the internet, I was like, oh, my God! Like, there's something beautiful about what... Just First of all, combat sports in general are just two men fucking fighting. Forget take the team aspect out of it or whatever. There's something great about that. And what's weird is I don't think I would like any sports, to bring it back to the original thing, without professional wrestling. Because I didn't have my dad. My mom kicked my dad out when I was a kid, and my dad wasn't even super into sports. He'd watch football for the sake of gambling, and he liked horse racing. You know what I mean? He'd listen to baseball on the radio. I still have an affinity for baseball on the radio. I like it when it's on. It's it's. I haven't why I haven't followed baseball in ten years, but I do. I can listen to a Yankee game on the radio if it's on in the car. It's and it's nice. It's pleasant, right? Yeah, it's almost made for radio. Yeah, dude. I used to. I'll tell you this about baseball, just and I'll get back into what I was saying. Baseball is for uh, three demographics of people. Uh, truck drivers, uh, alcoholics who are hungover, because baseball on television during the day, Saturday, Sunday, local games on affiliate broadcast television, when you're hungover early in the season when there's no stakes – you feel like you're doing something when you're not, and that's what you need when you're a drunk, you know? And fucking the depressed. The only people I know... I'd say the same for golf. Golf's definitely a hangover sport to watch. Golf is a hangover sport, but I feel like golf is more of a retiree watch. When you can't quite follow hockey anymore. <laughs> yeah, that that checks out. Yeah. You, you, you watch golf because you can keep track of it. But also the depressed... Anybody, if you know a 30-year-old man who's, A, gambling on baseball, B, really following baseball closely, fantasy, ask him if he's okay. If you know a man past his early 20s who's, I'll say between early 20s, if, if if it's a guy in his late 50s and he's retired, fine. But a man who is working, an adult man who is working a job that is his career, and he is very, very much still into baseball. You need to ask if he's okay. Because it's for the depressed. Right? I don't disagree. Okay. Now back to the combat sports thing. Because those are the sports. That's what you want. And here's the thing. Like I said, it's the only sport. I've watched baseball. Um, I've I've gotten in. I, I can watch. Playoff basketball is probably my favorite thing in the world. But I cannot stick to the regular season. Um I, I'll watch playoff hockey. I liked hockey when I was very little here and there, but I wasn't following it. I got into baseball in my 20s because of an alcoholic, depressed person. But I always was interested in boxing from an early age. The only sport I ever like was like, I want to watch that. And it has to be because wrestling came on. And that's got to be why there are so many, there are so many fighters that are fucking marks for pro wrestling. Like, forget forget your Brock Lesnar. Ronda Rousey. Your fucking Daniel Cormier is a fucking mark for professional wrestling. 
right? Have you ever seen the video, Frank, have you ever seen the video of Cormier marking out when Seth Rollins cashes in the Money in the Bank briefcase? No, I haven't seen that. You need to watch that. And that's the thing about pro wrestling is that, and that's kind of almost what's, and combat sports is uh, the end of a good fucking fight. You feel elevated, right? I would say no form of fiction makes me suspend disbelief the way pro wrestling does at its best. Now, most pro wrestling is horseshit, right? We can all agree with that. Most art is horseshit. If you think all pro wrestling is horseshit, and you, but you like stand-up comedy, I'll take you to an open mic. And we can see, like, most of this art is shit. Like, and look, there's, how many podcasts exist? 50,000? 5 million? There's 31 million YouTube channels. 31 million. How many are good? So, but like, now I'll tell you this. I'll take any adult man. Uh, so here's a great example. The show Deadwood exists. The third season of the show Deadwood, Dan Darty gets you in a fight with a character called the General. I know five different adult men who, when they first watched Deadwood through, I have gotten to admit that in their house alone stood up and cheered for a fictional fucking character named Dan D- I did it. I did that. And I'll do it again when I rewatch Deadwood. It's that fucking good. And that's what pro wrestling fucking is. If you can watch Shawn Michaels kick Ric Flair in the face right after whispering, I'm sorry I love you, and then retiring a 70-year-old man who has survived a plane crash and then went on to be the National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight Champion, I will give you $10,000. Not really, but I, the sentiment is there. So this episode has two National Wrestling Alliance champions, the belt that has been held by Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, Harley Race, and also Dan Severn, the man that made UFC what it fucking is. That man held two different UFC titles, a tournament title, a heavyweight title. I sound like a fucking fight promoter, Frank, do I not? You do. Only in America, baby. Check out these interviews. All right, guys. I am here with Nick Aldis, the real world's champion, Nick Aldis. How's it going, Nick? Thank you for doing the show. I very much appreciate it. I'm a huge fan of NWA Power. I'm a huge fan of your run with the championship. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm, I, don't, I don't dress like this normally just around the house, but I've been uh, shooting some stuff for Fight TV today, so you caught me on a good day. You're lucky. I'll be honest, I thought about th- throwing on a sport coat because you're always so well-dressed, and I saw you <laughs> in like a sleeveless shirt, and I was like, ah, he'll probably be casual about this. I usually, uh, trust me, I, I've been down at the pool earlier, so I mean, if, you, if we'd have scheduled it for earlier today, you would have seen the complete other end of the spectrum, but um, yeah, no, I, I, just, I just got done uh, talking to uh, Carlos Molina ahead of a, a boxing pay-per-view for Fight TV, so that was cool. Oh, that's great. Uh, I want to talk to you. Actually, I want to say NWA Power is one of the most unique shows, is one of the most unique wrestling shows I've seen in a long time. Um, and it's a weird thing because I became a fan as soon as I watched the first episode. But weirdly enough, when I saw the set, I was like, I think they're going too old school. I don't know what to expect, but I'm still going into it optimistically. I was, I'm just curious on your end. You go into the TV studio, which is a weird place to do wrestling if you've never done it. And... You see it, 
what were your first thoughts of the set and just of what the show was going to be? Because you came out, you cut that opening promo, which is, I rewatched it last night. Honestly, one of the best promos in wrestling in the last few years. I'm just curious what your initial thoughts were and what, how you approach that first episode personally. Um, well, first of all, thanks. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I have to admit when, when it was first sort of described to me that we were going to do studio wrestling, I was a bit, I was a little bit apprehensive because, you know, that, that phrase can sort of, can mean a lot of different things. Um, and it, you know, we've, uh, you've, we've seen studio wrestling that works and then there's a lot of studio wrestling that just kind of looks a bit bush league and a bit jojo and not really sort of high enough quality for the for the current you know for the modern era um but man when you know once we and obviously i've been quite hands-on with the whole thing but once we um once we once we got to see the facilities and gpb such a world-class studio and you know we got in there and and the set design and everything it was i mean i was just i couldn't wait you know the thing is um when you when you think back on on the really iconic sort of promos you know in wrestling a lot of them were stickman interviews they were interviews in a studio they weren't you know, they weren't people in a ring with a microphone that's not really a natural environment for a sort of for 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 a promo you know, when you think of the, all of, you know, all the classic flair promos, you know what I mean? Kiss stealing, wheel and dealing. And then you think of like hard times by dusty and all these different sort of promos. They were all in the studio. They were stick man. They were straight down the lens because there's a, there's a directness to it and a real sort of intimacy to it. Um, you know, that, that it's, you know, if you're, if you're the rock and you have that presence and that ability to command like a, you know, a huge arena full of people when you're standing in the ring with a microphone with catchphrases and stuff like that. That's, that's one thing, but that's a certain style of promo, you know, but, but interviews I think are, are a different thing. Um, and we wanted to sort of go back to selling a, you know, selling a match, right? Like put, you know, putting, putting butts in seats, like telling people why they want to, you know, why they want to come and see something or why they should be interested in it rather than just sort of these kind of long soliloquies, you know, kind of about an ongoing storyline kind of under the, you know, I feel like I see a lot of promos now where I just sort of think, what are they trying to sell? You know, what's the, what, what's the purpose of this? You know, it's a lot of it's very sort of exposition-y and it's just sort of, um, there's just this kind of assumption that everyone's going to watch the next episode and everyone's going to watch the pay-per-view and everyone's going to watch like the thing that they're talking about. So there's no real sort of, there's no real urgency to like making people, you know, want to see the outcome. And we, you know, we assembled a, a group of talent, you know, with the uh, interview set style promos in mind. That's what, you know, that's why we, we we put it as one you know, one of the big factors in in the in the people we chose for the show, you know, was who who can do it that way, you know, who has the ability to walk out and have an audience, you know, feet away from them and a stick man, so they're going to ask them questions and they don't know what questions are going to come, they don't know how it's necessarily going to be phrased, you know, it's not a it's not necessarily a, a completely sort of um, preconceived thing. It's, it's organic and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit rough around the edges and you've got to have that, you've got to be quick. You've got to have that wit. Um, and, you know, I think that interviews bring out that realism and they bring out that, 
that sort of spontaneity that I think is missing in a lot of wrestling. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's great watching uh, watching people pivot on the fly when they get a reaction from the yeah. crowd. And I just want to say something about you guys' crowd is like when I tuned in to the first one, I saw that guy in the Santa hat in the first yeah. row, and I was like, it reminded me of the guy with the straw hat from the old ECW episodes. And I was like, okay, right. they're getting the straw hat guy; they're going to be good to go now. Right, right, no, and, and that, you know, one of the reasons why we haven't we haven't done any power, you know, in, in, during the pandemic is because we just said, there's just, there's just no way. It just doesn't feel that it's just not going to be the same without the audience. Cause the audience is just such a vital part of the show. You know, they, they're not, I know that's like a cliche thing that a lot of people say, Oh, the, you know, the audience are part of the show. They're the star of the show. You know, that's the kind of, that's the sort of thing that, you know, that you'd hear on a WWE like puff piece, you know, oh, you know the audience are the biggest star, but like for our show, they genuinely are because we, we genuinely react to what they're saying and, and they're sort of, you know, they end up becoming um, part of the dialogue and uh, it just didn't, you know, just didn't feel right without them. And um, yeah, no. And, and look, we don't, we didn't, we, you know, we, we were really pleased with how that culture sort of um, cultivated itself and policed itself um, you know, there, there's no sort of hijacking. There's the fans weren't trying to sort of steer the direction of the show in their own, you know, to fit their narrative or anything. I mean, like they that. got the they question would, mark over. Yeah, they were just like they were just they just decided that they were going to be with stuff, you know, and they were going to sort of um, they were going to be enthusiastic rather than sort of um, you know rather than disruptive, you know, and and that was and that was it ended up becoming such a cool part of the show. And I mean, I can say I, I know for a fact like there were a few in the early days, you know, the first season, like there were a few times where there were a few fans who, you know, who were trying to sort of do some of the typical kind of hijacking stuff. And like the rest of the audience just shut them down and were just like, no, we don't do that here. Like this is the NWA, you know, and that's, um, we love that about our audience. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic thing. It's a great show. I, I actually, this is something I've been curious about and I haven't heard you talk too much about it. So, you left kind of you were in you were back and forth to TNA before you came and started doing the NWA stuff. I'm just kind of curious as a guy who had you must have had options. This is a brand that it's just it's the brand and I've talked to I talked to Dan Severn a few years ago and he talked about how proud he was to hold the belt and you seem to do the same thing. I'm just curious like how much that weighed into your decision to go with Billy to do this, what his pitch to you was and why you thought it would work. Um I mean, certainly the, yeah, the, the, I, I did, I did believe in the prestige of the championship and I did believe in the, in the legacy. Um, and I felt like I think a lot of it was timing. I felt like with where everything had gone um, and we had seen this, you know, we'd seen this big at, at the time, you know, ring of honor was, was, you know, really essentially the number two promotion uh, you know, New Japan had really established themselves in the U.S., uh, you know, and, and had sort of carved out a niche for themselves. Um, and, you know, the, the, like, obviously there were like the Bullet Club guys and there were a few others who had sort of established themselves to the point where they were they were bleeding into the lexicon of, of the entire wrestling business. You know, you would see bullet club shirts on, you know, in the audience at Monday night raw and, you know, and it was, it was sort of becoming hard to avoid. Um, and amidst all that, we sort of, one, we realized that the landscape was shifting and the audience was sort of hungry for an alternative, but also we, we re recognized that 
there was a lot of, even though there was a, a lot of different brands and a lot of different personalities, the, the, a lot of the wrestling was very similar. Um, and, and it was all, and, and WWE were adopting it too. It was all becoming this very sort of fast paced, very spot heavy, very sort of, um, very much focused on the execution of moves rather than the sort of, rather than the storytelling and rather than the, than the sort of, um, you know, making it meaningful or the sort of the emotional element of it. Uh, it was very much about like, can you top this? You know, how much, you know, how much, we, you know, how much, uh, it was you know, really more of a sort of quantity over quality type of type of thing when it came to in-ring action. And um, we just, you know, wasn't, it's not a knock on anyone or anyone doing that stuff, but we just saw a gap in the market and we saw that there was, a, and I, and I, that, that personally wasn't the type of stuff that attracted me to get into the business. And I thought to myself, well, if that's how I feel, I can't be the only one. Um, and so when, when I talked to Billy, you know, he just, uh, he sort of laid out what he saw for the, for the wrestling business. Um, and I laid out what I saw for, for the presentation of wrestling. Um, I said, that, you know, there's just a lot of people just kind of getting a ring and getting a bunch of wrestlers and just booking dream matches, you know, with no reels. Like, oh, wouldn't it be great to see this person wrestle this person? Well, yeah, it would, but it would be even better if there was a reason, hmm. you know, and it wasn't. It was just very much like, oh, dream match, like, oh, epic match, you know, the one really good high fly guy gets another really good high fly guy, you know, and was, okay. So like, what's the story to be told here, you know? And, and so we just saw, you know, we just, we, it just felt like there was a lot of, a lot of the stuff being left on the table. Um, and for me, I really wanted to delve into stuff that felt more like a prize fight. I really wanted to, I really wanted to focus on really building to one big important moment rather than just kind of loads of cool matches for the sake of cool matches. I wanted to have, I wanted to do stuff that meant something. Uh, and so I, I, and I felt like with everything, and just looking at um, just culture in general, we see seeing a lot of the resurgence of a lot of kind of retro brands like Champion and Converse and stuff like that. And it was, I, I, there was a part of me that thought, you know, I think it, I think there's been enough time has passed, and with the WWE Network, uh, a lot of fans were now being, you know, were having exposed to the the, the classic NWA of the late '80s. And they were, you know, and I think a lot of people were starting to go, man, that was some, that was some high quality athletic stuff. And then the flair 30 for 30 happened and, and that really emphasized, I felt like that, that, you know, Rory did such a good job making that show, making that piece, but where they, you know, and, and Cornette even says on that, on that show, you know, the, the, the WWF was the Harlem Globetrotters and the NWA was the Boston Celtics, you know, it was like, that was where you went to see like the real high quality athleticism. And, um, and you know, and it was really about the atmosphere, right? We wanted to create this thing of like, this is going to be a, this is going to be a contest. You know, this is going to be two guys who want to prove one is the best. And, and that's what we wanted to do. And I, so just, it all sort of fell into place. And I felt like I, that was a good fit for me. Oh yeah. I think you guys did a fantastic job. I mean, it's, it's a shame uh, it didn't happen, but the build to the Marty Skrull Crockett cup match I mean, hopefully, uh, is there any chance we will be seeing some uh, live wrestling from you guys anytime soon? Yeah, September 15th, um, 
we, we've we've worked out a, a deal with uh, United Wrestling Network and Thunder Studios in Long Beach, California. So we'll be doing um, we'll be taking part in a series called Primetime Live. That will be going out on traditional pay per view on cable and satellite, but also on Fight. Uh, and you know, it, it, it was it's a it's a manageable way for us to be able to sort of promote some some matches that we think people will want to see. Um, I think you'll see as, as you know to start with. Well, obviously, we'll just have to kind of get get our feet under us a little bit and just start. You know, we just put on some matches that we think people will enjoy. But over time, I think you'll start to see we'll we'll build to certain matches the same way we did with the ten pounds of gold series, and we'll sort of earmark certain events that like okay, this this one's going to be where you're going to see this guy versus this guy. This one's where you're going to see this title match, and and we'll start kind of building to them more in the way that we had previously with with those really sort of long form, um, you know, pieces and talking heads and, and uh, you know, for like training footage and, and things, things like that. Um, but we're, we're, we're going to make a start. And like I said, September 15th is, is when we kick off uh, at Thunder Studios. It's a really cool facility, you know, it's be, and, and obviously partnering with uh, UWN, it gives, gives us access to a lot of, guys out there on the west coast a lot of hungry talent looking to sort of make a name for himself so there's some fresh matchups and some interesting stuff coming up and um you know there'll, there'll be more content coming out you know as we as we move forward but you know we, we, we we've got to be judicious right because mm -hmm. we're a, we're a smaller company we, we've got to we've got to make sure that when we do something we make it count and that there's a there's a path to profit for it because we're not getting a rights fee we've got to you know that's why these these shows are going to be on pay-per-view but at a lower price point so that we don't expect everyone to buy every single one but if you're a big fan of thunder rosa you know then maybe you know maybe you say okay in three weeks i'm going to get that one because thunder rosa is wrestling whoever you know, or if you want to see a world title match, you know, okay, oh, in a few weeks, like, you know, Aldous is defending the title against this guy. Oh, the tag titles are going to be on the line on this one, you know, and things like that. So it's, um, it's a way for, you know, and it's, and it's an opportunity for some talent to step up and, and show something because, if, you know, they're going to get to be the focal point of a, of a pay-per-view or, you know, of a special event. And they can, they can step up and show the world why they should be. Um, you mentioned Thunder Rosa. She just announced uh, she's going to be at All In uh, for AEW. Um, she's uh, going to have a match with their women's champion. I, I, I saw that, and uh, I, I'm sure you're a little tired of talking about it, but does it get uh, us any closer to maybe the rubber match between you and Cody over there in AEW? It's, that's a conversation that's never gone away. Um, look, he knows where I am. They know where I am. You know, we can make it happen uh, if they make the price right. And I think that Ultimately, you know, it's a fan, it's a fan driven business. Uh, if, you know, and clearly the demand is there because it gets brought up every time, every time I do one of these. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. You know, when the time is right, we'll make that happen, I think. Um, but there's also a lot of other fresh matchups there that, that people, you know, have been, people have been bringing up to me really since, I mean, since even before All In, people were saying, oh, what about, you know, Aldis and Omega, Aldis and Hangman, Aldis and Jericho, you know, Aldis and Moxley now is another one that comes up a lot. And look, like I said, we've always, we've always had the prize fight approach to pro wrestling. We, we're, not, we're not concerned and bound by uh, contractual barriers, you know, promotional barriers, like ultimately we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll come to the table and we'll make, we'll, you know, we'll put it, we'll get it down on paper and we'll, we'll, we'll make the match happen for the fans if that's what they want. Okay. I mean, you mentioned that all this hangman match, that is such a classic, that would feel like 
a very classic NWA matchup. The Cowboy, you got the British, the, the dignified suits versus the Cowboy. That's a fantastic match. But I was more even curious just about, so she's over there representing the NWA women's title. That's got to help you guys. I mean, do you think that that elevates the NWA brand in the right way? Because now people see that and they can, you know, there's a lot of casual people that maybe they're tuning in for the NBA on TNT and they see this and they go, well, maybe I'll check that out on YouTube. That's an easy thing to get into. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we're, anytime that somebody like Tony wants to, you know, decides to come along and make that commitment, you know, an incredible commitment to put, you know, such a, a huge amount of money into the industry, you know, to, to and with, you know, uh, a, a, I presume, uh, the the idea is to try to attract more eyeballs to it. Then obviously, you know, when he's willing to, you know, anytime someone's willing to give up some of their TV time and, and dedicate it to someone that represents our organization, then yeah, of course, that's that's a huge thing. And, and uh, I think it's a testament to the work that we've done. It's a testament to the work that Rosa has done. You know, it's no secret at this point that uh, Tony had approached me about, joining AEW and I at the time, you know, thanked him for his interest, but I was sort of loyal to the NWA. But I also made it clear at that time that we were very open to, it doesn't mean that we can't do something, you know? Uh, so I think this is, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it might, it, it's come, it's exciting news for a lot of fans and we're happy about that. It's not a big surprise to me because I think that we've sort of known from the beginning that there was, that we thought this could happen. And it doesn't have to stop at AEW. I mean, look, we, we, we pioneered this by, by our working relationship with Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. um, which is still very much a thing. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't have to stop there. You know, if WWE want to come to the table, then we're open to that. If New Japan or AAA, you know, I mean, Conan is a good friend of mine. And Conan's, you know, said multiple times, he's even said it uh, on, on, on social media that he wants me to come down to AAA when, when, when they're open back up for fans. So... Ultimately, my, my job as the world champion is, you know, is to, is to promote this brand and this championship as the lineal heavyweight championship of the world, the real world's championship. That's why I call it that, because it really was the, the championship that spawned all others. So mm-hmm. I take that seriously. I've proven that with, you know, defending the title in, you know, seven different countries, four different continents, multiple promotions, multiple opponents. So that, that, that doesn't change. And, and Rosa is, 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 you know, going to step up and carry the mantle for the NWA or, you know, all out. That's great. I, there's something I, I want to ask you about. Um, I want to ask you about Tim Storm because uh, he's kind of like the heart and soul of the show. To anybody who's listening who's, who doesn't know Tim Storm, it, it's an interesting thing. Besides the fact that he looks like Powdered Toast Man from Ren and Stimpy, he is just a very – he's just such a human guy. I just, it's just a quick, but like, I'm just kind of curious if you guys were always planning on working with him. Cause I remember seeing an article years before uh, even Billy bought the brand and it was kind of this weird thing where it was about Tim and it was kind of about the fall of the NWA title. And I just remember reading the article and then I saw his work in championship wrestling of Hollywood with you. And I saw the build to it and he's just one of the, fantastic characters in wrestling and i'm just wondering if that was always if you guys always wanted to bring him in or if the idea was just to pass the torch and then you just saw that it was it was it was money and just kept it going uh it's probably closer to the latter but it was somewhere in the middle so 
I think uh, the intention at first was that they were just going to strip all the champions and start again. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I was on board, so I think there was a there was always a sort of I'm sure that you know there was always an assumption that at some point or other I would end up you know in the in the title picture. But uh, it was just one of those things where when you meet Tim, you just can't help but like the guy, and you can't help but be drawn in by his personality. He's very genuine, and he's he's very authentic. And he represents really everything that we wanted the brand to represent, right? He's a man's man. He's athletic. He takes it seriously. He takes himself seriously. He presents himself well. Uh, and he really genuinely had a, a true love and passion, has a true love and passion for the NWA and for being the NWA world champion. So when we saw all that, we saw a tremendous opportunity. I know for me, you know, the, 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 the wrestler in me and the, and the, you know, the promoter and the booker in me saw that and went, man, that's such a great, what a great protagonist for my antagonist, mm-hmm. you know, because I know I'm an antagonist. And so you have to have that self-awareness, right? So when you, when you, once you, once you know who you are, that's when you can really start to, to, to make this business work because you have to know what people think of you kind of on a human level. You have to know, like you have to understand basic human psychology Right. Instead of trying to force, that's why, that's why, you know, overly contrived scripted stuff it do, doesn't really resonate because people, people make a snap decision on someone in seconds, whether they, whether they want to or not, it's just human nature. They just decide within seconds about, okay, this guy is this, this, this. It takes time for those opinions to shift and change. But I know that when people first see me, they're kind of like, oh, this guy thinks, you know, thinks a lot of himself. Oh, he's, you know, he's uppity. Oh, he's got a British accent. Oh, he must think he's better than me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, he's, you know, he's tall. He's got a good body, blah, blah, blah. You know, they meet Tim and, and it's like, you just, you know, within, within seconds, you're thinking, man, what a great guy. What a man, you know, man's man. He's a, you know, he's a, you know, you, he's the sort of guy that you trust, you know, you trust your kids with, you know, with your kids and, you know, he's just, he's got that aura about him. So it was a natural matchup. So then we had fun with that. And then we, I think that we, we caught everybody off guard because we didn't do the typical thing of like, okay, well, let's find, let's find another opponent for Aldis who's like a, a similar kind of, similar level of exposure, similar level of sort of buzz and interest online, yada, yada, yada. No, we'll do it with this. And, and so we know that nobody's seen this. Mm-hmm. And, and suddenly it's kind of like, it was it was the organic because you know it's very easy to get swept up in the in the sort of um, instant gratification culture of oh look how many likes this got look how many retweets this got but does it does it really mean anything you know when you when you look back at the early early days of the NWA uh, you know under our administration and you look at like the ten pounds of gold series like we didn't get that many views but for some reason it still gets brought up. Mm-hmm. So the people who did see it, it really resonated with them. And we got a lot of media requests and there was suddenly it was a genuine word of mouth, a genuine organic thing happened where people started going, have you seen this, this new NWA thing? It's really cool and interesting and different. You know, it wasn't everyone tweeting about it. Well, they were, Oh my God, you know, like uh, it was it trending, dream, yada, yada. It was, but it wasn't, but it was genuinely resonating with people on a human level. And that's really what we've intended to do from day one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, when you said he he seems like a, a man, he seems like the kind of guy who shakes your hand firmly, but he yeah. knows exactly how hard not to squeeze to make you feel like an asshole. You sure. know what I mean? He's that kind of guy. And he really is that guy. 
Um, I, I wanted to ask you, actually, this is just an interesting, this is a question just for me. Uh, uh, what are, I, I've worked with Homicide before, and I'm just always curious what other people's, because he is, for a guy that size, is disturbingly intimidating. I love D. He's great. I've, I've known I've known Homicide for for a long time, um, and yeah, no, you're right. Like you 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 meet that guy, and and he's another guy. He's a hundred percent legitimate. You know, like there's there's nothing that there is there is nothing contrived about the Homicide character. No, like that is D, and. But he loves the business and he really understands the business and has tremendous knowledge. Um, but he, you know, but he also, he's not judgmental. He has a, he has a real wide kind of, um, expanse of appreciation for the genre, you know? So it's like, he's not just, you know, he does it, you know, you, you, a lot of the time you would see a guy like that and you would expect that he only likes a certain type of wrestling and so, but he's not, he, 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 he's, uh, he's a student of the game, man. And he's, um, you know, if you talk to Eddie Kingston and, you know, a lot of other guys that D's had a, a big hand in helping, like they'd tell you the same thing, but no, I love that guy. And I'm, and I'm, I'm glad that he's part of the NWA team behind the scenes. Oh yeah. He's fantastic. He's a very professional guy. I'm just always very curious what people's first impressions of a, are of a guy like that because he is. Oh, I'm just, sure most, I'm sure most people are scared shitless when they first see him. Yeah. When I met, I, I, I was ring announcing a show and I got his, uh, his intro a little wrong and I was just like, oh no, he's, this guy's going to kick the shit out of me. Yeah. Um, uh, a couple other things I wanted to ask you about uh, as we're getting ready to go. I know you guys got the new programs um, coming out. I'm, this is just an, a weird question because I heard you talking to um, uh, James Storm. I, I watched your uh, What's Causing All This, which is your show on NWA's YouTube channel. Good show. But uh, you had mentioned this thing of when they take the title off of you, now you're in this position of, where do you go? Right. And I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts would be. Cause at some point, I mean, all runs end. So sure. what, like, what's your, what's your next step? Do you stay here? Uh, what do you do? He, what do you, cause I mean, obviously you guys wrote kind of wrote that into Tim's character where he can't challenge you again for the championship. So you kind of given him an out, like where, where, where's your next step when obviously this ends? Well, I mean, that would, that would just, that would come once we, once, you know, whenever, whenever somebody presented themselves who, you know, who, who we decided and it was, we knew was the right guy, you know, then I, it would just be a case of, um, you know, it would all, it would all, it would be, you know, it, it's, it's too hard to answer that without having all the other pieces in, in place. Right. Mm -hmm. But I would say, um, if, if, for example, I was injured or something, and I had to, and and you know, had to move on now, I would probably, I would probably uh, take a back seat for a while and probably just work behind the scenes. Mm. Um, but not, you know, and not because, not because I don't, you know, not because my ego wouldn't allow me to sort of do anything else. But unless there was a specific, unless it was like a. It, it would either be that or it would have to, I would have to move into uh, some sort of rivalry or feud that was, you know, that was a, a real personal sort of blood feud type situation where the title wasn't necessarily important, you know, wasn't, you know, wasn't, uh, wasn't necessary for that particular type of angle. 
But, um, uh, you know, ultimately it's like, we never, I don't think any of us, we didn't plan that I would, you know, have the title for a, you know, super long run. It's all fluid. It's all organic. It's all, it's all based on what, what, what's kind of obvious from the audience. And what's obvious at this point from the audience is that they see me as, as, as the, as the guy representing the brand. So, uh, until, until we got to a point where we felt like it would be in good hands somewhere else, I think that would be the thing. But ultimately, it's not up to me, you know. Uh, but I could say, if for, I would probably say that I would just, I would probably enjoy taking a little time away, just like, just so I could not, not, not from wrestling, but just from that responsibility, so I could focus on a lot of the other things, a lot of the other hats that I wear. <laughs> And sort of dedicate myself to that fully without sort of any conflict of interest because we do try to we do try to keep some separation of church and state okay i understand uh i know you got to go so i'm just gonna ask you one or two quick questions this, this is something i like to ask anybody who's like gotten to a certain level of achievement um and who's dedicated there because you started wrestling when you were 21 right no i started wrestling when i was 17. so i i, I signed with i signed with tna when i was 21. Oh, okay. That's okay. That was the disconnect. Um, so the question I had for you is, so you started 17 at what point early on did you go? Yeah, I'm a professional wrestler. That's what I do. And then how quickly were you smacked right back down to be like, Oh, right. I still got to work at this. Oh, well, certainly when I first came to TNA, um, because you know, I went full time as a wrestler at 18. Mm -hmm. I mean, I started with the Knights, but then I, you know, because I had a good look and, and, you know, picked up the basics quickly enough, I went full time with all-star wrestling for Brian Dixon, you know, and, that, and at that point in time, uh, you could wrestle five or six days a week for most of the year. Mm -hmm. So I was a full time wrestler. I was, a, you know, I was, that was what I did for, that was my job. I remember when I went to the Harley race camp when I was 20, like everyone was standing around sort of talking about what they did for a shoot job. You know, oh, I work at, you know, I work at a gas station or I'm a, I'm an electrician or I'm this or that. And I'm like, well, I'm a wrestler. Like that's my job. And they're like, what do you mean? This is a job. Well, how often do you wrestle? I was like, well, I work for all-star wrestling. So, and I pulled up my, pulled up my schedule, you know, and I just said, well, here's my schedule when I go back. And it was just like, you know, 20, 20 dates, you know, in one month. And they were just like, what? You know, I can't believe it. But that was the scene in the UK at the time because mm. Brian had all those dates. And um, so, but, you know, I knew it, it wasn't like in my mind, I thought, oh, yeah, like, I know what I'm doing now. I made it. I just knew that I was lucky, you know, to be work, to be wrestling that much and getting those reps. But that's a very, it was a very specific style. So when I came, you know, and then obviously I was able to get the break with gladiators. And then, so then it was kind of like from that, I'm like, Oh, well now I'm, now I'm on television, you know, now I'm a television star of a totally different thing. And I did some other stuff. I did some stage and I did, you know, and, and, and then I, and then I got the call to go to TNA. So it kind of just went like, boom, 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 you know, leapfrogging one to the next. But then, you know, those, the, I got thrown in at the deep end at TNA and didn't have, didn't have a lot of support as far as people sort of going, Hey, here's how to do this. Mm -hmm. Like it was, they didn't, they didn't really know that I had no experience whatsoever of that sort of style, like the very fast paced, very sort of spot, spot heavy style, but especially not very short TV matches. I had zero experience of that. 
I you know, doing we would 15, go out, 20 minutes. Yeah, we would go out and do like if you didn't if you if you did under 15 minutes for Brian, he'd be annoyed at you. Yeah, because he wanted you to work the crowd and get them going and you know and take your time because that was what his shows were all about. They were all house shows. It wasn't television. So the idea of trying to do a match in four minutes, I mean, I was just rushing and you know, I would, you know, I would botch everything because I was because I was so nervous and panicking and and then like the crowd just, you know, at that point in time, the TNA crowd was pretty brutal. Like they, you know, they 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 let you know. And I mean, I got eaten alive those first couple of months. So then I, my, my confidence really took a big hit. And then um, it was only when I, got put in the, um, when I got put in the British Invasion tag team with Doug was when I started to find my confidence again because Doug sort of went, okay, let me, let me, handle, the, let me handle the matches and you handle the, the personality stuff. And, um, you know, and then I started to sort of slowly get used to it and get my footing. Okay. Uh, that is actually something I'm quickly just curious about because obviously you can't be the same person you are on TV, but I always, uh, I always think about uh, when Stone Cold talks about the great wrestlers, he's always like, it's them turned up to 11. And I know you played some characters early on in the TNA run, but like how much of this right now is what you are and how much of it is like just a little extra? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a little extra. You know, especially when I'm, you know, especially when I'm in the power studio, you know, that's when I'm just sort of, you know, more cocky and more, more full of it and more, you know, pushing, pushing that, pushing that envelope as far as sort of being outrageous and the stuff I say. But yeah, like, I always think that the best promos have to have elements of reality to them. Mm -hmm. You can't, yeah, again, that's, that's where I think some of the stuff has a disconnect now, because if someone else has written it and it's you know, but something that that's um, if every single part of it is part of a fictional premise, mm-hmm. then it's very difficult for the audience to go, oh, yeah, he meant that, you know, whereas when, you know, if you look at the thing for, with the, the built of like me and Marty, for example, a lot of that stuff was legitimate. It was just the emotions were not right. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, Marty did sign this big money contract, Yeah, you know, so people could believe like maybe he is a bit jealous about that, you know, and, and it was a great selling point. And then Marty's like, oh, I've never been a world champion. And, you know, Nick's got to be world champion at, you know, multiple different promotions. And so maybe he is a bit jealous about that, you know, and it's like, they're real things that you, you know, again, that's where like wrestlers egos can be so detrimental to them drawing money because they don't want to, they think, Oh, I'm being buried. Like if it's something legitimate and it's like, no, dude, it's, it's, you're using this, you're using that stuff to sell a fight. The yeah. Something bad that, has to happen to you for somebody to want something good to happen to you. Kind yeah. Of. And, and ultimately like, just because you don't want to acknowledge something about yourself, you don't think that everyone's already saying it and thinking it anyway, you may as well use it and make money off it. That's the way I look at it. Like I, if, if, if nine out of 10 people watching go, oh, this guy's a pompous, arrogant prick, you know, like, I'm not going to be able to change all their minds, but no, no, I'm really a cool guy. Like, you know, like, I was like, okay, cool. Well, you want to see me get my ass kicked? Okay. It's on pay-per-view. You know, that's, that's the business we're in. And that's September 15th on fight TV, obviously follow at real Nick Aldis on Twitter at NWA. I know you got to go, but Ash Samuels from ring of honor and catalyst wrestling made me promise that I would ask you if you actually like the smashing pumpkins. I do. I you do. do. And you know, what's weird is that, um, they, they were, they, you know, the, 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 
they especially their classic stuff you know it was, it was part of my rotation in my you know I, I have very eclectic music taste so i listen to all kinds of stuff but yeah it really is and like man uh, you know uh tonight tonight and uh disarm and like some of those like this is one of my favorite songs ever but it's kind of weird now because i feel like i'm sort of kissing ass <laughs> you know and like even listening to it sometimes like but my wife has you know my wife has them all on her on her playlist and stuff too in her itunes and it's like even when it comes, you know, we'll be driving in the car somewhere and it'll come on and it's like, there's this part of me that sort of feels like, oh, is it weird? Should we skip? You know, but it's like, no, like you should just enjoy it, you know? But yeah, no, I always have been, always have been a fan. All right. Well, that's great. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day. And obviously, again, September 15th, Fight TV, go check it out. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully at some point when all of this is over, you guys will, I'll be able to see you wrestle live in New York or down in Atlanta, whatever. Uh, go And look, here's the thing, for anybody who's listening to this that doesn't know Nick and doesn't know NWA, the 10 Pounds of Gold series is the only, it's the only wrestling show that you, can, you have a start point. So you can start there. Anything else, you're going to be wondering about what happened before the first episode. You can't go back and watch it. You're not going to watch 20 years of Monday Night Raw. If you want to get back into wrestling, if you're a lapsed fan, it's, it's, it's a perfect show. Start right there the 10 pounds of gold and work your way through the first season of nwa power there's also plenty of the pop-up events on youtube now it's fantastic stuff thanks again nick it's, uh, it's cool I, I never thought of it like that but you're right and that's, that's a great way to it's a great way to put it and we and we we introduce you to one character at a time so you so you can kind of really get on board and, and get with this one person at a time it's no overload but and also every episode of nwa power is all at youtube.com slash nwa as well so yeah appreciate anyone for checking it out all right thanks a lot thanks man have a good day Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to another High Society Radio Presents. This is an interview with Dan the Beast Severn. Dan is actually recently coming out of retirement to fight at uh, TV. He'll be fighting Tank Abbott. We actually talk about the fight. It was supposed to be Ken Shamrock. There were only three people he wanted to fight. Signed the contract. Ken Shamrock got injured fighting uh, at Bellator like a month ago. And uh, this fight's supposed to go down March 20th. So, uh... Ken probably overbooked himself, but he has been fighting regularly, whereas Dan hasn't been retired since 2013, and he's now fighting Tank Abbott, also hasn't fought since 2013. I think it makes for a kind of an interesting fight, though Dan has beaten Tank in the past. You can follow Dan at BeastDanSeverin, at DanBeastSeverin on Twitter, and at Facebook.com slash TheBeastDanSeverin, and you can obviously follow High Society Radio. If you're just here for Dan Severn, we do a weekly show with interview supplements. The show is myself, Chris from Brooklyn, Bronx Johnny, and Chris Pepper Hicks Stanley from the Ron and Fez show and now Bennington on Sirius XM. And you can follow us at HS Radio Show, Facebook.com slash High Society Radio. And uh, go to uh, iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. And, of course, our great sponsor over at lynda.com slash highsocietyradio. Sign up for a two-week free trial. You learn all sorts of shit. I'm learning Toon Boom animation right now. Uh, I learned how to do Adobe Audition through that, which we use for this very podcast. I learned some stuff in Adobe Illustrator to do comic book outlines. So you can learn any program you want. Uh, The beauty of lynda.com as opposed to a YouTube tutorial is you go there. They have the text of the entire tutorial. You click on the text and it rewinds 
to the place you want it to be. They're also w- far more comprehensive and a little less hectic than some than clicking around the YouTube videos. I think if you try it, if you're really serious about learning a program, you'd love it. That's lynda.com slash high society radio, and you will get a two-week free trial. So here is the interview that I did with Dan the Beast Severn. Incredibly interesting and really a thrill for me. Thanks, everyone. Society Radio presents a Chris from Brooklyn bonus content fun time. Here's your host, Chris from Brooklyn. All right, so uh, today I'm talking to Dan Severn. Uh, his list of accomplishments are higher than just about anybody else. Three-time UFC champion, UFC Hall of Famer, the only person to ever hold a professional wrestling title and the UFC title at the same time. And I just want to say thanks for talking to me, Dan. Uh, you're welcome, Chris. And uh, I guess we got to talk about, first and foremost, I mean, I guess you're, you're coming out of retirement this week. Well, uh, yes. I mean, when I retired back in 2013, I retired with a clause in the first place uh, as I was... You know, finish up my my my, my career. I, I was looking for one more high note to go out, go out on, and uh, the the three people I kind of reached out to was a uh, Mark Coburn, a Ken Shamrock, and a Hoist Gracie. If I could have had those three matches right in that order, that would have been ideal. Uh, I don't really put too much uh, trust into too many other hands, so I simply took the issue upon myself. I contacted all three people personally. They all agreed to do matches, but it always seemed like there was something that was coming up, and I just thought, well, you know. I'm not getting any younger, competition getting tougher. Sooner or later, uh, I'm just going to be a trade wreck. And I thought, uh, I, I just basically made an announcement uh, at the beginning of 2012. I simply uh, sent out a mass email to all the various promotions and promoters in my database and said, if you think about utilizing my services, it had better happen sometime in the course of 2012 because as of January 2013, this cat is done. So. Yeah, you know, as I retired, as as I retired, and write my little press release for my retirement. I said I would, however, consider coming back out of retirement for one of these three people, depending on how long I've been in retirement, because there comes a point of diminishing returns. And sure enough, I had a company contact me back. Uh, you you know, are fine. Back in summer, the month of November, and was throwing out Ken Shamrock's name. So that's one of the three people. I mean, personally, I mean, for you, wouldn't you have rather had seen uh, Coleman or Hoist even? I know Shamrock has recently started fighting again. He recently fought Kimbo. Would it have been because, I mean, you had the answered loss to Shamrock. You kind of had his number in you guys' second meeting. And I was just wondering, like, would you have rather have heard from one of the other two more? Well, honestly, the the only one I really would have wanted to have heard from would have been a Hoist Gracie one. Okay, so so do you uh do you view the Coleman the Coleman loss uh was that like something that you, you kind of understood because he was also he was like the next generation of uh, American wrestler that went into the UFC after you correct? Well, I'll say yes. I'm I'm the guy that's been uh, given the uh, I guess uh, the title of unleashing the hordes of wrestlers that that have invaded the mixed martial arts today. Okay, and when you look at uh, you know across the world. Uh, organization by organization, probably the, the top nine, uh, eight or nine guys per weight class. What is their true background? They are amateur wrestlers. 
not just not just a amateur wrestler, but a higher level amateur wrestler. Because with that higher level athlete comes a work ethic and a mindset that you know. I, again, I'll be biased because that is my sport, and I know what what these guys are capable of doing. I've coached at two different two different universities. Uh, I've been teaching sport wrestling since '71, so I've been around the sport a long time, and I know that. Uh, High-level wrestlers kind of march to a whole different drummer altogether. Yeah, I mean, well, the college, I mean, you hear all about college sports and just the, the, the rigorous training that they have to do along with the academics. Uh, but what, what I wanted to ask you is when you first went into UFC, because there wasn't a wrestler before then, like, what did it feel like to, to represent your sport in a place where people were trying, I mean, at the time, people were trying to see what was the best fighting style. And you were the first one, and you went in there and you made a, I mean, a massive impact. Well, I mean, I, I, did I know what I was doing at the time? No. It was just an opportunity that was presented to me. Um, I've always been somewhat of a calculating type of uh, a person. And, uh, I, you know, to give you an example, I would have never pursued, say, boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, because I did not possess those that skill set. But you allow me to do my grappling or my wrestling ability on top of this. You have to be within arm's reach in order to strike me. You need to be within leg's reach in order to kick me. I, I've had a pretty successful uh, career at either staying outside of that range or closing that distance before anyone gets any real mustard on any shots. Mm-hmm. So knowing that I could use my my strongest asset going into matches is what, what uh, made me feel at least confident enough to attempt it. Again, not knowing what was going to have, what was going to happen. I did not have that crystal ball, but, uh, and ironically, I never told a single family member when I did my very first Ultimate Fighting Championships. I mean, I can, I could, I could see that. Like maybe you were, were you, were you, were you worried you were going to lose or were you just worried about the stigma that was surrounding it at the time? Uh, no, no, I wasn't worried about any of it. I, I, I could care less about the stigma because you, you're always going to have armchair quarterbacks everywhere. I mean, that's that's probably the worst thing today in our social media is you have a bunch of armchair quarterbacks that can hide behind a keyboard and whatever fictitious name they want to put out there and just trash anybody they want to. That's why I just don't engage much of those those type of forums. I'll do whatever post I want, and if I still post something. Uh, that I think is off-colored, and I have the ability to delete it. Oh, trust me, they're gone. I don't need negativity in my life whatsoever. Go somewhere else and fester someone else's wounds. Okay, well, I understand that. Uh, what I actually wanted to ask you about, I wanted to dial it back a second. Um, when when you were talking about uh, you would never have gone out for Muay Thai or kickboxing, now, I was watching an interview with you, and you said after... Um, what was it, your third UFC fight? You decided that you needed to... Oh, no, it was after the hoist fight. You did, like, a full training camp for the next fight, and you needed to learn striking. Now, how did you go about that coming from a sport where there's absolutely no striking? Like, what yeah, was your well, first well, step in well, going the, into the, the, strike yeah, training? Because when you think about the sport in general, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but, but I answer it in kind of a roundabout way there. No, in a, in a roundabout way there as well. Uh, you know, the sport has evolved immensely to where... In the beginning, you had a, a lot of one-dimensional athletes, and I throw myself in that same category. You had boxers, you had kickboxers, you had sumo wrestlers, you had wrestlers, you had taekwondo people, you had jiu-jitsu practitioners, and literally the sport started to evolve in the very first UFC because when you think about the match starts on your feet, so you need to have some type of striking skills, whether that be striking with your hands, your elbows, your knees, your legs, and then you know, the, the eventuality is there are clinches, there are uh, takedowns, there are people getting uh, jammed up against cage walls. So 
you know, you had to become more and more of a complete uh, competitor. So I knew that I needed to add more to my arsenal if I wanted to continue to stay in this sport. And but what was kind of the first step? Like, what, like, to me, I wouldn't understand how to approach that. Like, when you were like, okay, I need to add strikes to my, my repertoire, what was, because I know you had said that, uh, you had said that uh, some of the jujitsu moves were just unrefined wrestling moves or illegal wrestling moves. Um, well, yeah, I guess that, that's all it is. I mean, when I look at all of us, all the grappling, you know, wrestling, wrestling, like what we do, what we do in, uh, on our collegiate levels and stuff like that, to high school, it, it involves principles of leverage. But another word for leverage is just, you know, you're, you're do some pain. Uh, in the sport of amateur wrestling, you're trying to pin someone on their back against against their will. So that's uh, that's not an easy thing to do. So you are imposing leverage, but a leverage simply equals pain. And, and now in something like this, you know, mixed martial arts, it, it wasn't mixed martial arts when it first began. It was known as no holes barred. So most of your, your listeners, they're, they're familiar with the term mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts is civilized compared to no holes barred. Yeah, I was mixed actually going to ask you, I was going to ask you, uh, like, what do you think about, like, the evolution of the sport with the rounds? You, I mean, you were in, what, the, the first or second time limit fight in all of UFC history, right? Was, was that, that's the well, Shamrock no, fight? No, in, in, in number four, UFC number four, there was still no, it was still unlimited time. There was only two rules, no biting, no eye gouging. There was no time limits. There was no weight classes. It was bare knuckled. When you showed up on a Friday night to what, what in mixed martial arts they call the weigh-ins and stuff like that, all it was back in those bar days was a press conference because there was no weight classes. So you are one of eight men, and they would have typically an MC up there heading on them, and they basically say, well, Chris Fagan, you stand up here, and then now they give you your credentials. Yeah, this is how tall he is, this is what he weighs, and this is what his martial arts background is. And then after it goes through that, you sit down, and then the next guy stands on up, and, and, and then basically, uh, you know, they, they go over his credentials, and then they pull out this bingo ball machine. There's eight balls, and each ball has a name onto it. Spin around. Here's number one, Chris Fagan. Spin around again, Dan Severn. Okay, match number one is set. Less than 24 hours before you're supposed to step in the cage, you finally know who your opponent is, at least the first one. And while you're trying to prep for your first match, you're, you're, at the, you're actually at, at the, the tournament format, and you're trying to try to watch a little bit of the match either before you or the match after you to realize this could be your next opponent. And then you also try to check out who might be coming in from the other side of the bracket. It, okay. And that was, uh, you know, there, there, will never, there will never be something like that ever again. Yeah, no, I understand. I know I'm kind of curious because, you know, Hoyce has been uh, critical of the, the new format of MMA uh, and it, actually it becoming MMA and not a true fighting sport. Uh, it, uh, it's not a test to see who's the best fighter when you have round breaks and a time limit, really, if you have a decision bias. Now, I was wondering, do you have any issues with that, or do you, do you, do you prefer the way the sport is now because it's more of a sport and you come more from a collegiate well, background? It has, you know, just due to, uh, due to liability, due to uh, you know, athletic commissions, legislators, politicians, it had to conform. It just, it just had to conform. It... Uh, you know, the bottom line, I'm always always look, looking for the, the safety athletes. I actually think that probably one of the next things that's going to probably end up being taken out will, will be that elbow because of what what damage it does occur that it, it uh, you know it produces. So I mean, it, it had to it had to make concessions. It just had to. 
Okay, yeah, I understand. All right, so uh, dial back again. That first training camp, I never really got the answer out of you. Uh, what was your like, – okay, did you go to Muay Thai or the – Yeah. I, I only did – just so you know, Chris, I was a last-minute fill-in. That's all I was for UFC number four. So when I got the, the nod that I was in, you know, I tried to put together the best little camp I could at a short notice, still fulfilling my obligations. I only trained for five days, an hour and a half a day, down in Lima, Ohio, at a place called Body Slammers. Doesn't exist anymore, but Al Snow was the, the head trainer for it. It was a professional wrestling school. But okay. a professional wrestling ring was the closest thing I could find to a cage. Today, you could go to almost any community, and you could either find a full cage or a piece of a fence that you could actually work in inside of a training facility. But back then, there was only one cage. It was owned by the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and that was it. So you had to do the best you could, you could do. So here I have three professional wrestling protégés, one pair of boxing gloves between the three of them. They simply just rotated the gloves as one guy got tired. We'd give the next guy. They were trying to punch, kick, and do whatever they could do in terms of submission holds. And I just basically did whatever I could do and just taking them down, stuff like this, and, and, and doing submissions. But I never worked on a single strike. I never did a single legitimate submission. So even when I showed up to UFC number four, when they asked me, what is your martial arts? Because now they're trying to put the little bio together that they put, you know, height, weight, and uh, what's your bio background? I told myself, I'm, I'm an American wrestler. And they looked at me like, well, what's that going to do for you? I said, I'm not sure. Watch and find out. I'm kind of making this up as I go anyway. Hmm. Now, I wanted to ask you, uh, you credit your loss, which you didn't think was a loss, uh, at the Olympic trials as to why you have the career you have. Of course I do. Yeah, well, you considered it unfinished business, right? You thought the guy that you beat went on to win the gold. Yes. Now, I want to ask you something. Do you think now, looking back, is this a better end game than the Olympics, or is that I, just the I, ultimate for you? I can't answer that question for you because I don't know how that would have affected or changed my life. Hmm. That's a, I mean, yeah, you so, could have ended up in the same place just a few years later. You never know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's possible, but that, 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 that was not my goal at that point. I mean, I've, always, I've, I've lived out of a planner since probably my junior year in high school. I've always had a plan as to where I want to be and what I want to do, and that kind of derailed some of the plans I had. So it changed things. Even the, I just, I'll just leave it at that. It just, it, it, it just changed things, and how did it affect me? Who knows? All I know is I just took a, I took a bad situation, and I did the best I could with it, and that's where I'm at today. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure this, a lot of the sport of wrestling kind of thanks you, uh, because what you did in the UFC has given a lot of amateur wrestlers something to do when their college careers are done, or when their Olympic careers are done. Correct. Now, I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about professional wrestling. Now, you started professional wrestling in Japan shortly before the UFC, is that right? Yes. Well, actually, I started my career back in 92, um, first doing it in the United States on the independent circuit. Okay. So um, now, was that, did you grow up enjoying pro wrestling? I, I did through my junior high years. I used to watch uh, every Sunday afternoon, big time wrestling used to be on. So watching that, having, uh, well, I had seven other siblings, but I had four other brothers. And to grab your brother airplane, spin him a few times, body slam him on the couch was like, that's the thing to do, having some fun, ruckus. You know? So now the uh, the NWA championship came after you entered UFC. Did that just kind of uh, expand your nope. draw on the pro wrestling? Just, just 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 the opposite. Oh, it did. I was doing, the, I was doing all the professional wrestling. Had won the NWA belt before ever even being involved in the in the oh, Open championship. Okay. I had the uh, years uh, reversed, I suppose. Um, yep. So no problem. I had to stop you because 
a lot of people, they think that I was a cage fighter first and then I jumped into the professional scene. And so you, the, the lines of, well, you are a seller. You just went for money. I go, really? I go, then the, the, the people that really should be pissed at me should be the professional wrestling people for jumping into the cage fighting stuff. And then like, oh, no, no, that's okay. Oh, really now? So again, it always depends on how you look at things. Well, you kind of open that up too. I go, I go back to this. A lot of people that sometimes they should think before they open their mouth. Hmm. Well, actually, and that's, that's something that's very lacking nowadays. Well, I got some bad information. That's why I had asked you about the Japan thing. I know you did well in Japan um, as far as professional wrestling go goes. Um, that's why I, I actually had just gotten some bad information. So, but what I'm asking you now is like, what was the? Uh, now that brings some wrestling fans in. You're showing up to UFC events with the NWA Championship. Now, how did the fight fans react to you? Because now it's almost you know with Brock and CM Punk and all these guys. It's, uh, you know, I mean, CM Punk got a lot of, he got a lot of kind of, you know, bunk just for going over to the UFC. And uh, I was kind of wondering, like, like what, did you get any of that reverb back even with your collegiate background? Like, uh, just for doing at, the pro at stuff? At the time, no. At the time, no. I mean, because it was, you know, I'm, I'm, the guy, I'm, the, I'm the groundbreaking guy. Hmm. So I'm, you know, people are just sitting on the fence wondering what's, how, how things going to happen one way or the other. I mean, for, for, for me to go from... My amateur wrestling career in the beginning to go over to professional said I didn't tell anybody because I know what my buddies would have thought. They would have thought, no, you, you, you. They, they would have thought I was a sellout. Now, now what, was the, what was the real reason to doing of, it, though? What, like, was the reason, I mean, was the reason, like, some level of selling out? Did you just, I mean, or was it a reason to go around the country? I mean, a lot of people go into professional wrestling for different reasons. Well, I mean, to me, it was, it was an opportunity that, uh, that that had come up. I had several different promotions on the independent scene that was approaching me through the early 80s and that. And, and basically, as of, I should say, uh, uh, through the mid-80s and, and on, and then, uh, you know, as, had I turned pro at that time, I would have lost my amateur status and I would not have been allowed to compete anymore for trying to, my bid was to hopefully make, make Olympic team. As of the 1992 Olympics, a new rule came down for me, United States Olympic Committee, Committee that allowed athletes to be both amateur and professional simultaneously as long as you were not involved in a collegiate or a high school program because you'd still be governed by NCAA rules or your high school athletic association rules. So I was well past my collegiate eligibility so I could have my cake and eat it too. I could be a professional wrestler and still be trying to make Pan American teams, world teams, and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what you did, I mean, you had, I mean, uh, while you never competed in the Olympics, you had, you had plenty of international titles um, while you were, and you were being a pro wrestler at the same time. Chris, legitimately, I have over 100 state, national, and or international titles and or records to my credit. You find anyone else that can even come close to that. That's just my amateur wrestling career. Okay. Now I've also done judo, sambo, and then tough men contests, and then what, what I started doing through professionals in the cage fighting, all different organizations I work for, for in the uh, cage fighting industry. I, I keep referring to cage fighting because... Most people, I keep saying, mix my shorts. They keep forgetting because we are a very forgetful society, so I have to keep bringing back in mind there's two different aspects of it. There was the NHB 
uh, era, and now there's the MMA era. Who knows what the next era is going to be called? I got you. Um, I understand. Um, I'm, so, I'm an educator there, Chris, if you don't understand. understand no. me, I'm an educator. I actually have a teaching degree from Arizona State, so I keep going back and I rub people's nose and information. I know you're, still currently, uh, you're still currently teaching wrestling at Arizona State, right? No, no, I, I, no I, I, I'm not teaching there at, anymore. I mean, I've, I, that's one of the places I did coach at. Mm. It's actually my, my first probably high-level coaching position was at Arizona State. I've been teaching the sport of wrestling since 71 to my peers in high school and stuff like that. You know, my athletic career, it was able to give me a full athletic scholarship. I went to college at Arizona State. So I'm born and raised in Michigan. I lived out in Arizona for a decade from 76 to 86. First five years, student athlete. And then the second five years as the assistant wrestling coach. And then I took a job at Michigan State University. Then I working with Michigan Wrestling Club and on and on and on. Okay. Well, well, I want to ask you, because uh, as we're talking about the going back and forth between wrestling and MMA, um, now, you know, you know about the CM Punk situation. Um, so I was wondering, did you, is there anything that you picked up doing professional wrestling that helped you in cage fighting, uh, amateur wrestling? Like any, was there anything you learned on the road? Well, yeah, no, I mean, no, no I'd say that, that professional wrestling really opened my eyes to a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, first off, the, the, the self-marketing that, that you have to do, the ability to go out there and have ring presence, to, to go out there and be able to know where the hard camera is at, how to play to the crowd, how to how to touch nerves, uh, to if you're the heel, to get the, that crowd to hate you, if you're the baby face, to get the crowd to love you. There's a, a whole psychology that I, I learned in, in that world. I, did, I was really fortunate to have, have worked with a number of uh, older wrestlers that taught me the real premise of, of a lot of things that uh, I think are really lacking in, in a lot of the, the, uh, the young talent today that just do spots. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot, of guys, a lot of guys actually talk about the timing uh, when it comes to that. So I was wondering, uh, all right, so with all this, what do you think about, you know, the card you're currently on. There's uh, f- four fights, right? There's a boxing match. Uh, um, um, you guys are doing there's, the, the MMA fight, you and no, Tank. There's, there's, there's four just say that there's four main events, but there is an entire undercard with this as well. This event is supposed to be held at the Celebrity Theater in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it's called the URShow.TV. Uh, just the initials, URShow.TV for information. Uh, and uh, their, it, it was their concept. They are a, and again, I may have some of the information a little bit twisted or wrong, but they're a brand new internet-based marketing company uh, that it, that's putting programming all via internet. They've got some new concepts that, that they're putting together, and they have these four different matches all taking place on the same night, on the same card. You have a submission grappling match there with what Michael Bismayne going up against Chow Sutton. You've got a professional wrestling match with Kurt Angle going up against Ray Mysterio. You've got a boxing match uh, where you've got, uh, and I just do a blanket right now, on uh, Roy Jones Jr. That, that's going up against a fan. Now, a lot of people are like, how can they go against a fan? I go, use your brain. Obviously, this is being regulated by the Arizona State Athletic Commission. They're not just going to let a random fan in there. This fan has got to have medicals. They have to approve that he's got some type of training and uh, background in the first place. They're not going to just let a fan in there. And so... There's an undercard with another, I think, uh, either 10 or 12 bouts of mixed martial shorts taking place as well because it's it's something that, you know, like I said, I, I heard uh, 
Uh, the timing is around 4 o'clock is the end of the card. All gets going, and then by 7 p.m., is when the uh, the four main matches are supposed to be taking place. Well, the Michael Bisbing uh, Chael Sonnen match is just a it's a it's a straight grappling match, right? It, it's not an yeah. uh, it's not a cage submission, fight or an MMA match. Submission grappling because I believe one of them is under contract with the UFC for mixed martial arts, so he doesn't want to be in violation of contract. So it, submission grappling, there, there's no problem with that. Just a submission grappling match. Okay. I, well, yeah, that makes sense. So, but they are bigger than life characters, so the sheer fact that they have them under the card. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, let's circle back to uh, well, your opponent is Tank Abbott, which was not one of the opponents you wanted. Uh, something Correct. happened with Ken. I'm not. I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm reading conflicting reports online, and I don't want to put out the wrong information. Um, so now, uh, I, now I've seen interviews with you, and there's no love lost between you and Tank Abbott. Um, now, did you do you feel like it's kind of? I don't know. Does, does it almost feel like a waste? Because you, you beat Tank the first time you guys met, and I was wondering like how you kind of feel about having to do this instead of going back in the ring or going back in the cage with Shamrock. Well, the only reason I came out of retirement was because of the Ken Shamrock name. I did come out of. I did not come out of retirement for Tank Abbott name. Mm-hmm. It's just that that uh, you know it was up until I think roughly I'll say two weeks ago. No, I'll say more like three years or more weeks ago, maybe maybe up to a month ago, that uh, right, right after Ken's match, okay, probably a week or so after the match, that he finally says that that he is injured okay. and cannot compete now. Now, now I'm just saying, like, now you've uh, you've been retired for two years, three years almost. You're training to fight Ken Shamrock. How does it change to fight? Because this is the first fight for Tank Abbott since 2013 as well. So how does it change with uh, the the training or just your mind state going into this well, fight? All of the above, because now I, I have diff- two different opponents. I have different size matters I have to go with. I have different skill sets that I will be faced with. So it's uh, it, it has changed. It's got a completely different game plan. Has changed. I'm just glad that I've been trained all along. So well, I've got at least, I've at least got the foundation and. Uh, I'll make whatever adjustments that need to be adjusted. All right. So, uh, actually, can I ask you about some current fighters? And uh, I'm just kind of curious what you've thought about, you know, the last several UFC cards. I don't know if you're still following the sport, but there's been quite a few upsets, uh, again, obviously. That, that, this, this, this could be rather embarrassing because I, I you know, I, I don't watch the content that much. The only reason I say it like that is there's too much content. I, again, it's, it's going to sound almost rude, but I'm a busy person. Well, you have, really yeah, you have a school. I don't you have really a... watch too many uh, cards. I will watch a select match here or there. You know, like for for example, you know, watching uh, the McGregor bout. I, I watched that. You know, the Misha Tate bout that took place. I watched that one. But that that's probably the only matches I watched on the entire card. That I watched it that night. No, I waited till the day after. And when, when I, now I could just watch just that match. So uh, all right. So but uh, what is your what what's your opinion on? Because those were I mean you, huge. I mean I kind of feel like they put particularly the Misha Tate thing. I almost feel like they put her in there to lose to give Holly Holm something to do while Ronda Rousey trains. Well, I, I can't. I don't want to talk to somebody else's way. mental state, but that's, you know, uh, the fact that she pulled it out, and, you know, it's kind of an amazing, it, it makes the, the whole division much more interesting. Now, I'm just kind of wondering what you thought of the fight, or the fighters well, I, involved. Yeah, well, I, boy, I tell you what, I just, not to, what to tell you that one at all. It just, uh, in the, uh, I'll just simply say, in the fight game, you simply never know what's going to happen. You go in there, prepare yourself the best you possibly can, but, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, states happen. <laughs> that's that's just the nature of the beast, you know. I, I got you. Um, so, uh, how did you feel about the McGregor Diaz fight? Because that's another one. You know, he tried to jump weight classes, um, and it, it's kind of it, it's funny to me because people were giving a lot of credence to that. But you, you know, you started with no weight classes in cage fighting. So, how did you kind of feel? Like, I mean, there was like again, I don't want to badmouth anybody, but it seemed like there was a bit of backpedaling on the uh, actually on the. Um, on the part of journalists, because everybody was saying Nate Diaz was a wash, he lost his last few fights, he's getting older, and, you know, he pulled it out. So I was just kind of curious what you thought about the entire, you know, the story leading up to it and then the fight itself. Well, I'll, I'll just say that between all of the interviews that took place, they were quite entertaining. I, I, I think if I had been, say, a parent of uh, younger children, I would not want them to watch any of it because uh, both of them need to need to round out their vocabulary just a little bit more and not just use four-syllable words. <laughs> I mean, I mean one-syllable, four-letter words, but, uh, you know, it, it, it just is one of those matches that uh, did I really care who won? Eh, not really, but at the same token, it's kind of like, uh, you know, m- maybe it was good that McGregor ate a little bit of humble pie now and, and maybe he'll come back just uh, that much better. All right, so let's say uh, the tank the tank fight goes out without a hitch. Uh, now you said you would come out for one of three people. If uh, if Ken heals up, do we get to see that fight for the third time? I don't know. I, I don't know if I will. Uh, I don't know if I will even bother. It's just uh, I've got too many other things on my plate, and you know what, what I've, had, I've done here for the last few months in preparation. How how I've had to sit back and just uh, miss opportunities. I I don't know if I want to do that anymore. Uh, so you're saying that you just don't want to take the time to to do the training camp, uh, just because? I mean, because I know you run you run a school in Arizona, correct? Well, I have a, I have a program at Arizona State University, and then I have a program back in Michigan at my training facility in Coldwater, Michigan. So uh, those are just two little things. I do stuff with law enforcement. I do stuff with military and, and, and uh, uh, corrections. So I, I I'm just I pulled in a lot of different directions. I I truly just to say, I I really do like what I do. I like my lifestyle. I like how I come and go, and I, I basically, I, I, I'm my own boss. Well, yeah, no, it's and pretty I, interesting I, when you I, look I like through that. your fights. You, you, I mean, you've been all over the place in all the different promotions. Even with the wrestling thing, I mean, you were the NWA champion when you went to WWE. Right, and I was actually WWE's first non-exclusive wrestler ever. You know, to where I could, I could work for any company, including WCW and ECW at the time, because they both existed. But at the same token, common sense would tell you, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. So I was, uh, I actually did an interview either earlier today or it was yesterday, I don't know, it's just like, this, this final week is just kind of going into a blur mode anymore with me, but, uh, you know, the sheer fact that, you know, what you said before, to hold two different title belts, one for professional wrestling, the NWA belt, and then and, and a belt and, and the mixed martial arts, the best known company, ultimate fighting championships. You know, Brock Lesnar keeps uh, being uh, trouted as being that person. You know, I, I did it 20 years before he did. Yeah. Uh, well, what was so, the? Uh, well, just curious. How do you feel about him using that beast moniker? To me, it's like you know that that moniker has been used for hundreds of years before with with different professional wrestlers, probably different boxers and kickboxers. It'll probably be used well after he's gone as as well. <laughs> so okay. Does that really bother me? No. Okay. Now. With the wrestling, just real quick, uh, I noticed that, like, you know, you were always a great in-ring worker. I've watched some of your stuff in Japan recently, uh, knowing that we were talking about doing the interview. But, like, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Sometimes when I've seen some of your UFC promos or even some of your shoots about leaving WWE, they're just so much more prolific and, like... You just seem like a like a dangerous guy in those, whereas the ones with, like, you know, when you were in WWE, you were a little no-nonsense, 
and kind of just to the point. And I was wondering, were they restricting you a bit on what you were saying or what you were doing, or did you feel restricted there? Well, really, I wasn't given a whole lot of dialogue in the first place. And I'll simply say that in the first part, when I was first brought aboard, I was used very well, and I think I was used in probably the most correct way. But then something happened. I don't know what that something was. But I, I think they probably realized, you know, if we do put a belt on him, we may, we may not be able to control him because he is not exclusive. We we don't control him whatsoever. I mean, I, I had so many so many uh, house show dates that, that uh, in my contract. I had so many pay-per-view dates, and, and I had to know about my, my schedule, a minimum of, uh, I think it was minimum of either 30 or 60 days out. So that literally, as I'm going down the road, doing a show for them, I might be doing two or three other seminars, appearances, or doing other events on the same on the same road trip, where most of these guys, they're just should be showing up at Madison Square Garden just to wrestle that night. I may fly in the day before, go do uh, a seminar, then go, go do an appearance at, at this place, and then the, the following morning do another seminar. By the time I have to show up around that noon, one o'clock, to the, uh, to the venue. Okay. So I'm pulling down, I'm pulling down Two or three paychecks versus one. So it's kind of like as business got better, because uh, I, I, when you got there, I mean, I'm, I'm sure business wasn't great. And then as business got better with, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin became one of the most famous people in the world. Like as business right. got better, they were kind of like, oh, and as the, the stuff with WCW intensified, like you had Medusa go on there, drop the belt. Um, yeah, it was actually the, the time period that I was with the WWF, it was, it was doing that, that, uh, attitude era where I mean I, I swore like everybody was, was bad but are you bad to the first degree and this guy's bad to the eighth degree it just it just seemed like everyone was doing it but it was it was a fun time because WWF you know that was known as WWE had to really bust their hope because for roughly 50 52 or 53 straight uh, weeks there WCW was just crushing them mm. and it, it made force them to actually become more creative and pushed the envelope, and uh, they did. And then they, they finally they they ended up winning out in, in the ratings of that. Okay, so I, I enjoyed it. It was it was a it was a, I thought it was a, a great time to be involved in the industry. Now, if they wanted you to come back to do like a Hall of Fame or something, would you do it? Uh, it just all depends on what the parameters are. I I, I care about how I, I'm utilized. It, it's uh, even when I left, uh, I'll say I, I left more or less due to creative differences. Okay. You know, the cycle, the cycle of a professional wrestler. If you're a good guy or a bad guy, you know the cycle is you will. If you're a good guy, they'll turn you into a bad guy. If you're a bad guy, somewhere on the road you're gonna see the light. You'll turn into a good guy. I had no problem with that when I first came out of scene. I was known as as a good guy, just no nonsense kind of good guy. I wore the same outfits I wore yeah, from my uh, USC days. You know, just and uh, it went out there and did my thing. Wasn't really cut any wacky promos or stuff like that. And. Uh, you know, like I said, just, I, I just don't think they, they realize, they, de- they never really knew who or what a dance ever is or what I could have done for them. Because I, I, I was that throwback of days gone by. It was really cool one night when Bruno San Martino called me up on my private cell phone. I mean, I had never met Bruno at that point in time, and yet he calls me up on my personal cell phone, so I don't even know how he got my number, because he calls me up and he thanked me for what I was doing with the NWA belt. He said, you do a lot of good things to a young man, you know, keep up the good work and stuff like this. And I was like, wow, that was really cool. 
That's great. Okay, I, I'm just curious because you mentioned it. Uh, I know you, you do do some seminars with law enforcement. How did you kind of get into that? Because I've never really heard of too many ex-fighters doing stuff like that where they uh, – law enforcement training seminars. Well, I, you know, as, as I said earlier, I, I've been teaching amateur wrestling since 71. I even started teaching professional wrestling a little after joining up into forces because I, my gift – Chris is I understand physical mechanics. I wish I I, I, swear, I wish I had uh, had had a talent in different areas. I'd be out uh, I'd be at America's most uh, uh, talented or something like that. I could go out and sing a dance or something like that. But I don't. It's uh, understanding physical movement and things of that nature. And I was first approached probably around '94 from a national trading company uh, for law enforcement that said, "Could you help us develop?" a ground defensive tactics program. And I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know what exists in that world. So for, for, for about a year, for, for well, most of the year of 94, I went around and I took all these various classes that were already in existence. I took the PPCT, the CDT, the Krabaga, the Control Force, Survival Force, you name it, I took it. I made all kinds of notes, what I liked, what I disliked. But during lunchtime and during breaks, what I found out is that most of these officers will only trade. Well, as they, the most extensive training that they'll ever do is as they go through the academy at the beginning. Once they are in law enforcement, or or once they are in corrections, typically one day a year they will spend on defensive tactics, and after being included in that one day, it's everything from handcuffing techniques to use of baton to use of uh, pepper sprays, things of that nature, escort. I mean, just all, there's so many things that they are trying to accomplish in that one day. And I'm thinking, that's overload. I, I'd already been involved in coaching for a number of years. I go, if I only have a chance to work with my athletes one day a year, I go, realistically, I wasted my time, I wasted their time, and I wasted department dollars. So I changed my entire program to a very simplified gross motor skills of uh, uh, major muscle groups, and it, it was a home run. So it's uh, a lot of like every place I go, a lot of like reading. I go to, they just say that it's the, the easiest program that they have ever seen, and it, it's consistent all the way through, which most of these programs are not. So my, my, my program is basically when all things go wrong, if you are at a foot pursuit and you fall down, you know, take it down the bad guy and you fall underneath him, beside him. It's like looking at mixed martial arts, all the different positions that they talk about now. This is the mount, this is the cross mount, this is the guard, and, and that kind of things. But that's what I kind of address. All okay. these bad positions. Because all the gear that you are wearing on your duty belt, that is for you, is now within reach of the bad guy. Could you let civilians take it, or is that strictly law enforcement? Do you have to be employed? That's, no, it's, it's strictly it's strictly for law enforcement because again, I'm, I'm passionate as to what I teach, and to me, it's like, well, I'm only here to teach the good guys. So okay. I do stuff. I do stuff with law enforcement. I do stuff with corrections. A lot of the same material, but it's 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 twisted around differently because the uniforms, the equipment that they wear is uh, is entirely. I'm trying to move here right now because I got uh, a neighbor here who's. Uh, yeah, so it's yeah. landscaping all of a sudden, so I'm going to try to move uh, to a quieter area. Corrections, it's a lot of the same material, but it changes in a sense that they have different, they don't wear as much gear, um, and, and the gear is different. So I, I do corrections, but then I also have worked with Air Marshal, Border Patrol, and uh, military. Okay. Um, I, like doing, I like doing the military a whole lot more 
just uh, because the use of force continuum that almost all the uh, other groups have to abide by does not exist for. So um, just back to the fight today. Uh, it's URFight.tv. It's this. Uh, it's March twentieth, yeah, right. this Sunday. URShow.tv is where as I know that's the website that has all the information. Oh yeah, it's under the URFight banner on URShow.tv. It's an IPPV okay. uh, this this yeah, Sunday, March twentieth. You. As you're aging, uh, getting older, do you do you have to? No, because I, I, I should actually have ARP on my, on my fight shorts no, going out there. Listen, I, I'm no I'm no professional athlete, but I'm start, You know, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm starting to get. You know, I'm starting to get a little hurt doing stuff, and I just uh-huh. had to have a like. I'm just wondering, like, how the intensity changes as you're getting older, because you're an intense guy, and I know you like to work hard. So, like, how is it, have you kind of dialed it back, or are you still going the same way you were going years ago? No, you 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 have to listen. You have to listen to your body. There are oh, wait, well, okay, you said you're just in your early 30s. Well, you just give give that another 10, 20 years, and, and you you just there's just some mornings that you wake up and you, you roll out of bed, and you start walking, you're thinking, wow. This is this is kind of weird. My my this leg isn't really working all that well. There, I keep out of moving. Okay, working itself out. Oh, good, we're good to go. I mean, it just regardless if you're an athlete or if you're just a normal average person, the aging factor is going to affect you. And uh, I've I've been very fortunate that through my career, I really have taken minimal punishment in my matches. And I think it, it what gave me probably the longevity that I had in the first place. Now, will I ever really do a, another match after this? Who knows? If the certain things come in, 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 in properly, something like this, I'll, I'll, I'll weigh that decision at that time. Right now, all I'm looking at that they offered me up this as an alternative, and I'll just because of all the time and dedication that I, I have done and, and given up opportunities, well, I'm going to see it through. Okay, that sounds great. All right, so I know I've, I kept you a little longer than you wanted to, so I'm just going to ask you one more question. Uh, best, re- Who's a better wrestler, Kurt Angle or Brock Lesnar? Oh, I'd say Kurt Angle, by far. By far. Okay, that's great. All right, Dan. Yeah. So, he can backgrounds. They both have professionals in background, but I, I, I'm just going to... I'll give it to Kurt. Well, show me the way to the next whiskey bar Oh, don't ask why Show me the way 
Yeah. 